Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove. It's time for a special episode. I'm joined by fellow reporter Kieran Kelly for his first ever outing on the Everything is Black and White podcast. He's sweating, he looks a little bit nervous, I bet his hands are very clammy, but don't worry, there's nothing to worry about Kieran. We're going to talk about one of his specialist subjects, and it is Josie Mourinho. Before we get any stick, we did have this podcast (laughs) planned, and I promise you we did, uh, a few weeks ago before the whole story brought that he might uh, be in line for a job at Newcastle United should the Binzai group take over. Kieran worked down at the MEN in Manchester, so he covered my United yeah. and worked quite closely with Mourinho. Before that, he wrote a book called The Rise of the Translator. That's it. Which was all about Mourinho's rise to the top of football management. Yeah. Um, and there's no better person to really talk to than yourself about <laughs> Mourinho. Yeah. Um, when you first heard the link to Newcastle, given the Binzai group, and we understand it is... That is what it is. It is a link, but he is their first choice should the, the takeover mm. get through. But what was your initial reaction? Uh, so I'm putting two and two together, if I'm completely honest. Um, I think the idea that if an offer was made to Mourinho, of course he'd consider it. He's someone who, uh, I know for a fact, um, since he left Manchester United, he had an offer that was absolutely absurd with the amount of money this club was willing to pay him uh, from another part of the world. You can probably guess what part of the world it was. Um, and he, he he will look at any offer he's given. So the idea that, you know, if someone came calling, whether it's a club um, in the Premier League, a club in the Bundesliga, a club wherever in the world, the offer, he will always look at it. Um, personally, he has a lot of respect for Rafa Benitez. I think if he was to look at the situation now, he would, feel um, I'm pretty confident of this that if Rafa Benitez has not been able to take the club forward in its current form then he would be very reluctant to to take it forward as it is in its current form obviously there's a lot of ifs and buts with this takeover thing um, I still remain cautious and this story didn't surprise me it's kind of you know the the idea that this group come in and, and pick a, a galactical manager as it were um could kind of see it coming for me um I think the, the priority would be keeping Rafa Benitez um the idea of Mourinho coming to Newcastle I I do think to be fair that he's not going to go to a club that have just won a title um his emphasis very much is a club with a structure so um what he felt at Manchester United um was that he didn't have enough support and backing when it came to protecting him from the inevitable he he saw as early as the summer what was going to happen and he kind of felt that the structure wasn't in place to um prevent what happened which was essentially you know the the players stopped listening he lost the dressing room that old cliche and what we've seen happen a lot with Mourinho in recent years happened again and everything kind of blew up and he's very keen now on having a structure where a sporting director is in place 
where it's very sophisticated and it's a change really because he's always been someone who likes to have full control and have a hand in everything but his next club um, while they may not necessarily be a winning club he wants to see ambition vision and a structure at the moment you would say uh, Newcastle wouldn't tick the box but it's not a surprise that people are linking it because of his old connections with the club uh, with Sir Bobby his admiration for the Geordies and of course um you know, the fact he, he's always had a soft spot for, for Newcastle United. But for me, I think it's it's two and two being put together. I, I'd be very surprised um, <laughs> if anything like this was to happen. But nothing should surprise you in football. But that is yeah. the whole purpose of the podcast. Even before this report came out, it was to talk about Mourinho's special relationship with Newcastle. Yeah. His terrible record here at St. James's <laughs> Park as, a, as an opposition manager. But... First and foremost, his relationship with a very special son of the North East in, in Sir Boy Robson. He came and worked with Sir Boy as a translator, um, first at Sporting, Lisbon, yes. many, many years ago. And then it, the relationship kind of blossomed from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to hop back into the time machine, go back to 1990, obviously we still say 1990 is Irish and English for men. There's a, a very happy memories of the World Cup of being taught about you know Packy Bonner for Ireland and of course um, Gaza's tears uh, if you're English and I think the Irish and English are the only ones who really look back fondly on that tournament it was you know a very boring and uh, you know at times a struggle to watch if you, if you look back on some of those games but so Bobby emerged from that as a hero um, and if you scratch a bit at the history of that it was a very different story uh, going into that tournament obviously it had been confirmed he was going to go to PSV Eindhoven a very brave move a uh, trailblazing move for an English manager of his experience and all through his reign with England um, there had been a bit of a, a kind of a press war as it were as who could put him down more in certain sections of the media and he tired of it the fact he was one publication called him a traitor really hurt him and really shook his family so as well as it's been a great opportunity to sample life abroad, uh, going to PSV was, was to get away from that kind of scrutiny. He'd lived in England all his life and this was a chance for him to, have, to try something new. And it was quite a smart move, obviously in the Netherlands, a very proud footballing country, but um, also the fact it was an English-speaking country. So it was a good first step into uh, foreign land, as it were. He did well there. He won two league titles, spent two years there. The club probably felt he could have done better in Europe, but... He immediately walked into another job, as you said, sport in Lisbon. And first day he arrives at Lisbon Airport, he's greeted by uh, the president, Sousa Sintra, his hand-picked assistant, which is a guy called Manuel Fernandes. Fernandes was one of Sporting's great strikers and kind of like a classic guy to help you get to know the club. But the fact remained he needed someone who could interpret and translate for him. And um, Fernandes knew... Um, from his time working as a coach, he knew a youth coach called Jose Mourinho. Mourinho um, grew up in an era um, where Portugal was looking outwards after dictatorship and kids were learning English, Spanish. Um, they, were, they were looking beyond um, Portugal again. So Mourinho came in and was initially, as you said, the role of interpreter, a, a linguist. But by the very nature of being from that first day meeting at the airport, he was he was with him and he was his shadow for the next uh, five years. So uh, it's a relationship that um, evolved. It's intriguing. You look at it on the surface, a 30-year age gap, 
um, Bobby being the son of a miner, having all this experience in football, and Mourinho being at the time a nobody really. Um, he was the son of a, a footballer himself, um, but as far as his own, you know, playing days, he knew very early on by the age of twenty three, twenty four, he wasn't going to be a professional footballer. So he sought to do the next best thing, which was to move into coaching, study sports science, um, and kind of look at the more modern ways that we now take for granted in, in football. So the VCR was coming on the market. Mourinho kind of became a specialist at compiling scouting dossiers, things like knowing which player's weaker foot was. You know, we take all this for granted now, but at the time that was quite groundbreaking. And Bobby soon realised that this guy had a bit about him. He was very, very determined and um, soaked everything up that Robson told him. Do you think Sir Bobby was surprised at just how much talent Mourinho had? You mentioned the determination there, but I mean, the idea was that he would come in and help him translate and to have all yeah. this that came alongside it. Yeah. Was it a shock for Sir Bobby, do you think? I think um, maybe a welcome surprise. I think the most important thing Mourinho was for him in those years was his eyes and ears. Um more than any of the the dossiers and that I think that was the most important attribute because Robson was going into these quite volatile environments particularly at Sporting and particularly at Barcelona where he needed people he could trust and he quickly knew that Mourinho uh, he could trust him so to give you an example um, Robson being Robson his team talks could last a while and rather than Mourinho word from word interpreting and translating I know for a fact from the players I've spoken to over the years he would condense it into a 30 second kind of soundbite that was much much sharper um, in in obviously Portuguese or Spanish and without ever undermining his message he, he had such respect for Robson that he was always aware that um, Sir Bobby had done him a favour you know gradually evolving his role gradually um you know, expanding his horizons, as it were. So, you know, by the very nature of being his shadow, his eyes and ears, he was in board meetings and negotiations with agents on the training field. So it was probably the best possible work experience you could have when you're, you know, a young man still. And um, certainly not many interpreters have, have ever had that in football. Um, but what what's the nice thing about it all is professionally, um the relationship was evolving but personally too they became really good friends their wives became friends um, they bond over things like food they used to eat lunch and dinner together regularly um, often lived in the same apartment block particularly in Barcelona um, and they liked they had similar interests obviously um, Anthony Hopkins films bizarrely and um, more than anything just an obsession with football so before they knew it, they'd be hours and hours in the, their company having dinner and they would have just talked football and Robson was always talking about Newcastle and always talking about the the voyage he used to do from Langley Park to be the first one there on a match day as a kid and, and Mourinho um, soaked that up and I have no doubt his intrigue with English football it, it was piqued by all those stories and um, come to St James Park for the first time um, was um, when Sport and Lisbon were playing here in a pre-season tournament in 1992 and that was the first time I think he, he was he was here and obviously seeing an English stadium like that, that was a big moment for him. So um, I think they, they helped each other. And again, it's important to stress we we kind of associate Mourinho now of being a bit of a 
he knows everything. He he doesn't need um, anyone else's opinion. But he was very much kind of listening all the time, soaking it all up. And you know, the guy at the dinner party was maybe the, the quieter one there, and all the while taking in everything um, Robson was telling. Today, people see Mourinho as a bit of this hard-faced character, one-word answers, very, uh, a very grumpy individual. Probably wasn't yeah. helped by his situation at Manchester United. Whereas Bobby had his moments like that, but in most he was a very jovial character, always like the laugh with the press, you know, yeah. very warm and friendly character. Was it a case that they balanced each other out quite well, or is that kind of how Mourinho is portrayed today? Is that is that not the real Jose? Yeah, I think it's it's a bit of both. I think um, Mourinho had a very analytical mind. Um, Robson made his name he's been a very human manager you know a guy who at Barcelona was still writing tactics and chalk on the dressing room floor and that with Mourinho's kind of more modern thinking worked um, but also Mourinho um, behind the scenes is is very very different and I've got to know that myself over the years through seeing it firsthand, and obviously through through talking to his friends and his staff and people within his inner circle over the years and um, it can be something small I mean um, to give you an example um, you know there's there's a coach he worked with many years ago whose wife died and he dropped everything and went down to visit him a couple of days just before Chelsea had a big game and he thought nothing of doing that and it could be even something um, I saw Vicarage Row in Manchester and I were playing there last season and the uh, liaison officer there was a massive Man U fan and um, Bruno came in ahead of his post-match press conference and was wondering what's the Wi-Fi password so she her hands shake and she takes the phone off him and thumbs it in and she plucks up the courage to tell him oh I'm a Man U fan and his face just changed and it was a smile you never saw in front of the cameras just a, a human normal smile and he just opened his arms and took her in for a hug and no one else saw it it was one of the only reporters there and it was just an example of something so small but because we've kind of become used to the Mourinho in front of the cameras you don't really get to see that and he likes to keep it that way I think before he used press conferences as part of his uh, preparation for matches you know the match started the moment he had the pre-match press conference but now he's sick of them he's tired of of dealing with journalists um, you know every week and it's a, a real contrast obviously to Rafa Benitez because uh, when I came up here, I was so taken aback how you know old school he is, and, and still having that really close relationship with the press. Mourinho would very much keep them at an arm's length. There was a time when he he would have been closer, and the Hollywood smile and everything else, but uh, that's changed now. And um, you know he he finds dealing with the press um, a real real annoyance. So yeah, I think. They, they definitely balance each other out and um, but I do think you know Mourinho does have that warm side to him it's just so few people get to see it Obviously during the time when they worked so closely together there was here on Tyneside Newcastle were taking the Premier League by storm Kevin Keegan the entertainers yeah. um, and also though on a personal note Sir Boy Robson was going through a very tough time off the pitch with his, his battle with cancer mm. Um any insight on how Mourinho dealt with that? Because obviously they were kind of 
they were best friends essentially yeah. on and off the pitch. Like you say, they lived pretty closely together. On one hand, you would have had Robson's excitement at his boyhood club, hitting the heights of the Premier League, entertaining, playing the football that he went on to play as, as manager. Yeah. Um, but also, like we say, the, the, the devastation of his cancer diagnosis. Yeah, uh, it's a big one. I mean, um, I think they very much, as I said, they were so close that um, Mourinho would have been one of the few who's privy to, to what was going on. And that in itself is uh, a reflection of that. Um, you know, I think Robson was was one of those people who, who we have, I think everyone knows, just the remarkable determination just to keep going. And he, he kind of never wanted to let many people see that vulnerable side in terms of what he was going through and and that's what makes him so heroic and why we still look back on him and, and talk about him um you know so often now I think with Mourinho as, as I touched on he he does have that caring side and it, it worked both ways Mourinho lost his sister while working alongside Sir Bobby Sir Bobby was was really helpful and I think more than he took a lot of those human qualities um from Sir Bobby so um you know everyone you talk to about him would say Sir Bobby was always thinking of someone else even in his, his final hours and final days he was always thinking about the other person and um, to put that into perspective when Louis van Gaal came in as Barcelona manager uh, 1997 I believe Robson was pushed upstairs of course wasn't too happy about it but he got on with it and one of the first things he did was tell Louis van Gaal you've got a great guy there who knows the club and could be a real help to you the main reason Van Hal kept him on so Mourinho kept his job um, as a formal assistant now uh, because Bobby made that kind of gesture if you go back to 1996 when Robson got the job for the first time with Barcelona um, the initial meetings in Madrid um, John Gaspar was vice president I remember speaking to him about this he told me that um, his plan was that Robson would have a hand-picked Assistant who was Barcelona inside and out, uh, who knew the club inside and out, and um, who could who could speak a bit of English. And Robson was like, "No, I've I've got someone already. He's worked with me at Porto. He's worked with me at Sporting. Um, you really, really have to give this guy a go." And they were adamant the the club hierarchy. No, you you need this guy with who can be a face, a player with experience who's liked by the fans. But he pushed and pushed. So much so, Mourinho did get the the job, but he was on initially just enough just enough to live. Um, so he was on. I mean, this this is you know, twenty two years ago. Yeah, it's just remarkable to think that Mourinho at one point was you know essentially paid just enough to survive, but his football dream was was so strong that he just wanted to keep going. And they quickly realised at Barcelona that that Sir Bobby was right that um, they had someone on their hands, someone who could who wasn't afraid of speaking to Ronaldo or Figo, who could stand up, who could bring something to the table. And the thing about Mourinho was he was not seen as a mole, uh, despite being kind of this very, very eyes and ears kind of a guy. He was very popular with the players, among them Pep Guardiola. Guardiola and Mourinho used to get on really well um, at that time. And, you know, there are things that stuck with Mourinho. So when he took the Chelsea job, Bobby phoned him again. Uh, this is going back obviously 2004 and he told him you have a guy in in the club already who will help you as your assistant that being Steve Clark Steve Clark worked with Sir Bobby at Newcastle 
that's the main reason Mourinho kept him on rather than just bringing in Portuguese staff. So uh, there's so many examples there. You can kind of see the human side of both figures bouncing off on each other. And I think the biggest thing Mourinho learned when it comes to kind of those human football qualities he, he got from Sabobi was after a painful defeat, he will always make an effort to go into the opposition dressing room, shake the hand of the captain and the manager again and remind his players, yeah, you might be down now, but think how happy they are in the other dressing room. That for sure is the biggest thing he learned from Sir Bobby. Well, certainly, I think there's a an image or a video of Sir Bobby at his toughest time at Barcelona and the press mm. are hounding him. And obviously it's the translation, you know, you know, is translating the question, translating the answers. Yeah. Um, but he's not just acting as a translator. It's, it's like they're one person you yeah, could see yeah, yeah. As much as Robson was getting upset and, and frustrated at these questions and the, and, and the attitude of the press, you could see Mourinho wasn't just translating the words, he was he the was getting impacted language, as well. Yeah. And that shows a real connection. Yeah, exactly. It's it's um, The thing in, in Barcelona in particular, it was obviously such a... I don't, I don't think he quite realised uh, Sir Bobby. It was always his dream to manage Barcelona, but... Uh, the, the time to come was so, so tough because you've had Johan Cruyff, Johan Cruyff, the father of football, you know, the, the most influential figure in the club's history. You know, it's like following Sir Alex, isn't it? And um, he, it was just so, you had such a divided camp where you had journalists who didn't mind Cruyff going because he hadn't won anything the previous season and the team was in need of something new. And then you had other journalists who were, so devoted, devoted still to Cruyff and felt he had been stabbed in the back by the president, uh, Nunes, who is a controversial figure to say the least. So they came in to a really tough environment and they steadied the ship eventually, but it was just so tough. You know, there'd be an example where I think there was a game, Barcelona won 8-1 and the, the home fans were whistling, you know, that they weren't playing the, the same kind of Cruyff football, obviously, and um, it's even though it was only a year, the two of them were there. A lot happened, and it was a real roller coaster, you know, to the point where um, there's that famous game against Atletico Madrid, where you know, at halftime, the the directors were pretty certain they were going to sack Robson after the match if he didn't win. Of course, he won the game. That was a real turning point. He wins three trophies in his his season there, and still has to go. But he goes with his head held high and his reputation very much enhanced. Um, but it was such such a tough job and um, they they navigated it together and I think they, they relied on each other a lot as I was speaking about earlier having that loyal figure he could trust was so important in that dressing room and in that environment so put that into perspective Mourinho um, being Mourinho learned Catalan before they uh, they went to Barcelona and Bobby told him make sure you never let any of the hierarchy know you can speak it so that if they're speaking in it you can hear what they say so as well as that bringing respect in terms of you know Guardiola and the Catalan condition in the dressing room really respect the fact he went to the effort to learn the language um, it also worked at a boardroom level that if they were thinking they were having these asides Mourinho was picking it up all along and feeding it back to Robson so um, yes yeah, it's, 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 it's remarkable really looking back on it you mentioned there Louis van Gaal coming in, Robson getting bumped upstairs. Obviously, a, a few months before that happens, Sir John Hall, Newcastle, 
one at a time, flew out. Yeah. Keegan had, had, had resigned in January 97. Robson was the first choice of Sir John Hall. He flew out to meet him. He said, look, this is what I'm being told. You are going to get the very very least bumped upstairs. You know, they, they want Van Gaal in. Robson said, I've got, you know, I've got time on my contract. That's not going to happen. Um, had but in the end he was persuaded he said right okay actually well, I'll take the job but then rang back the next day and, and Sir John Hall recounted it and said like, I, I could tell in his voice yeah, he was yeah, you know yeah. said you're not coming are you and he said no I can't break the contract and then of course like you mentioned there a few months later the what Sir John had warned had happened uh, I mean that would have been the perfect fit wouldn't it yeah it's 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 there have been so many sliding doors moments in Newcastle's history haven't there I mean even just the recent history you could you could go on and um, I think it's not that Sir Bobby was naive but he, he always saw the best in people and that idea that someone would take take him on give them tell him that you will have two years like you did at PSV like you did at Porto to, to really put your stamp on the team and then to be then told that you're formally being moved upstairs it was tough for him but I think credit to him was he he kind of actually relished the role of being uh, quote unquote the world's best paid scout you know he got to go to countries around the world um, looking at players going to tournaments and that really you know that was really enriching for him and um, I remember speaking to his future chief scout and his right man was Charlie Woods and Charlie would um, would obviously stay in contact with him and they remember going to. He remembers going to watch uh, Steve McManaman with him at Anfield, and uh, wondering why Bobby had been in the boardroom post match for so long. It turns out he was representing Barcelona, obviously, to to put a fee together, and they'd agreed a huge, huge fee um, with regard to McManaman. But anyway, on the phone um, on their way back to Ipswich from from uh, Liverpool that night. Uh, Robson gets a, a call on his his mobile phone and it's Van Hal and he's he's basically saying what do you think do you think he's worth the money and Robson told him um, having also watched Rivaldo I would go with Rivaldo um, if I'm completely honest if it's a toss up between the two of them and that's all Van Hal needed Van Hal trusted him as well and they ended up signing Rivaldo who was a very good player for them I know McManaman did great things at Madrid as well but he was he was cheaper as an example of Robson's judgment paying off and the fact that he's still that respect within the club even from someone like Van Hal who may have felt a bit mm, having your predecessor above you in the boardroom but um, it just goes to show that Robson still did the job to his best of his ability and was still doing the best for the club he, he worked for and who paid for his wages obviously from what you understand had Robson taken the job do you think he would have brought Mourinho along and would Mourinho happily accepted um what can we say? Colder climates than uh, yeah. Barcelona here in Newcastle. I think that would have been the time where it would have happened um, because Mourinho, um, at that time, he would he was still had another season to do with Van Hal as his assistant and he still felt he needed that kind of apprenticeship as a formal assistant. So he's obviously gone from interpreter now right up to, to you know a real trusted coach. I think that was the time where you you could have seen that because let's be honest, Robson, um, he took him to Porto, he took him to Barcelona. There would be no reason why he wouldn't have taken him to Newcastle. Um, and Mourinho, um, when he first came to England a few years later, he he said that he had the chance to go 
with Sir Bobby to Newcastle when he actually got the job. I think it was 1999. Um, but he felt naturally he wanted to go on his own journey now and, and be a coach in his own right. And speaking to people from both sides um, about that, you know, it, it being, it's 20 years coming up. Um, some have foggy memories of it. There are some who felt Robson wanted uh, legs on the training field, quote unquote. So the idea of bringing Mourinho in was was a bit strange, and you kind of see that reflected in the coaches he ultimately picked. You had Mick Wadsworth, Steve Clark, and John Carver, obviously very classic English, um, you know, old school maybe coaches. Um, Mourinho didn't really fit that template, but speaking to Paul Ferris, who's the physio at the time, he does remember Bobby always speaking to Mourinho, always speaking about Mourinho and indeed trying to get him on board. And it makes perfect sense. I think the idea that Robson said to Mourinho, come for a year and then I'll walk away voluntarily and you can you can become a coach in your own right. I could actually envisage that happening because it's it's just a classic example of him thinking of others, thinking of other what other people want and trying to sell a dream to Mourinho. And I think... Um, you know, it would have been really intriguing to see how that would have planned out. Most certainly, yeah. Can you see any elements of Robson's coaching techniques, his management techniques, man management techniques in, in the way Mourinho manages? I mean, you look at it and you would instantly say they're very <laughs> different style of managers. Yeah. Um, but is there anything that you can see that has kind of progressed along the way? Yeah, I think, as I was saying, there's that kind of, that zest for life and the human qualities and certainly his admiration for English football. Um, that can go back to Robson being in his ear all those years. I mean, if you think back to Euro 96, Mourinho actually made the pilgrimage to Nottingham to visit the city ground and he just could not believe this was the club that Brian Clough won two European Cups with, you know, it's quite tight ground and he was just amazed by that and struck by that. I think he always wanted to to manage in England once he had had those experiences with Sir Bobby and seen what English football and its traditions was all about. Um, in terms of man and management and, and things like that, obviously we, we know the famous stories of Sir Bobby. He'd be talking to one player and saying, you know, oh, he's rubbish. And then, not necessarily in those words, but... He talked to the same player then and said, oh, you had a great game. You know, he was very good at playing people off each other in a kind of, in a more innocent way. I think Mourinho's taken that up a couple of notches. He's someone who thrives on conflict. He's someone who who likes to get response from players by, by saying, you know, pretty critical things about them. On the surface, you know, there isn't, too many similarities between them and in, in their methodology, how they coach and that. But as I said, the the crux of it, what makes Mourinho a human being, his values, he certainly got a lot of that from Robson and he'd be the first to admit that. Well, certainly, yeah. Obviously, Sir Bobby uh, passed away um, after his fifth and final battle with cancer. And just reading uh, Mourinho's words um, just after the, uh, Sir Bobby passed, you know, very emotive, as you would expect. Um, I'll just read a bit here. I hadn't spoken to him in the last two months because it was hard for me. It was me who found it hard because I didn't want to think that he was dying. That wasn't the image I wanted to keep with me forever of Bobby Robson. That wasn't the voice I wanted to hear. Um, he was a person who had an extraordinary passion for life and for football. 
with an extraordinary enthusiasm. Uh, he's one of those people who will never die, not so much for what he did in his career, but for one victory more or less, but for what he knew or for what he knew to give to those who he had, like me, the good fortune to know him and walk by his side. You know, wonderful words. Yeah. And again, just emphasises um, the relationship. that I mean, that was 10 years ago as well. Yeah. And obviously he said things not so long ago about visiting uh, <laughs> Sir Bobby's home. So it's clear that that still resonates with him. Um, he's still in contact with the family. You know, it's, yeah. It is a relationship which like Mourinho says there, will will never die. No, I think, like I said, we, in terms of someone being so cocksure and, you know, that cliche arrogance that we associate with Mourinho, he, he's never forgotten where it all started. And that goes back to his father, you know, being a goalkeeper, um, then going on to being a manager and taking Mourinho along for the ride. It goes to Sir Bobby, it goes to Louis van Gaal. He, he, he still calls Louis van Gaal Mr. van Gaal. <laughs> you know, he... He's never lost count of that, even though it might seem it at times. And with, you know, the thing was he didn't actually attend the memorial service physically, um, which I think some people were wondering why. And and those words you you read kind of gives you an insight into how tough he found it. And he has been a, a big supporter of the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation in the years since. And he when he won the the first ever managerial Ballon d'Or he actually donated it to the foundation he didn't want publicity about it at the time um, and he's he's never forgotten you know the the people who've been influential in his career and um, I think like I said it's something he likes to keep private and but I think you can you can see um, what a what a big influence and what a, a special figure he was you know he still looks back on those memories and, and laughs you know Sir Bobby playing golf at the new camp on the pitch you know things that would make anyone laugh he, he he still has those flashbacks and I think you know he he put it well with the idea that the person never dies because uh, their memory lives on and that's very true you look at the the Barcelona squad who worked with Sir Bobby that one season and I think about two thirds of that squad have gone into coaching at some form or the other and I guarantee you every one of them took something from just having a year with Sir Bobby I've, I've no doubt whether it's something like we touched on those human qualities he he inspired so many people and I imagine well we can only imagine just how proud Sir Bobby would, would have been to look at Guardiola's yeah. fantastic city side yeah. um, and to see you know one of those players that he he, he uh, taught and managed doing so well but I mean Mourinho coming to the Premier League despite the money he had to spend but to see him I mean actually we'll, we'll start with Porto actually to yeah. see Mourinho lift that Champions League um, at Porto the club that they worked at as well I mean Robson must have been extremely proud of that moment yeah I mean that's the thing the so Bobby never won the European Cup um, it's one of the, the quirks really when you look back on it you think of he almost belonged in that pantheon at times you know some of those great managers who won the competition he never did but to as you said, to have seen Mourinho win it. Um, I'm touching on Guardiola there before Guardiola's first Champions League final, um, 2009 against Manchester United. Um, Robson wrote him a letter and just wished him luck, essentially, and, and kind of along the lines of, if you're half as good as manager 
as you were a player for me, you'll be all right. And it touched Guardiola. And Guardiola is another one who's been a supporter of the foundation and someone who's who's never forgotten that year with, with Sir Bobby. They had very, very different ideologies about how football should be played, but Guardiola kind of began to understood that began to understand um, management through Sir Bobby, how he somehow kept calm in the storm and how, um, you know, football management isn't just picking a team or training sessions. It's all the environment that goes with it. And that was really influential for Guardiola. Um, with Mourinho, yeah, it's... it's. Um, I don't think he ever imagined that he was going to go on and, and be as successful as he was, you know, becoming one of the, the great managers of all time. Um, but that that's also a credit to Mourinho, I guess. He would consider himself his own man while also knowing those figures who've helped him and um, being kind of the, a, a trailblazer in his own right, just as Bobby was for English managers abroad. You know, we think of Portuguese managers in England now, we don't bat an eyelid. Mourinho was obviously a trailblazer in that regard, but also for managers who didn't necessarily have any real football background and who were more kind of studious and scientific he was also um, a big trailblazer for that but as I said you can just see the amount of players who've gone on to to praise um, Sir Bobby when they've become managers it's it, there's so many even some like Andrew Villas-Boas who was just a kid who used to knock on his door when when he lived in Porto he, he's never shy of, of praising him no most certainly I mean ironically you mentioned the letter there I think probably one of the other letters that Sir Bobby's most famous for for writing to Guardiola is the the rejection when Guardiola (laughs) offered his services to Newcastle just after Robson had joined Yeah, and uh, if you haven't seen the Sir Bobby Robson documentary (laughs) the film um, I I recommend you do have a watch because it is such an emotive ride it's hard to put into words how how good it is it does pull on the heartstrings but there was a beautiful moment in there when Guardiola just, just laughs at the fact that he, he did he said look I'd love to come and join Newcastle and Robson effectively wrote back and said you're too slow for the Premier League <laughs> yeah. and you know it's just a, it's just a brilliant moment and uh, it just shows the kind of respect that he that he commanded Sir Bobby um, and again you can see that's the respect maybe you know maybe lost that little bit in, towards the end in my night but them two managers specifically have commanded such respect across the world for their talents their achievements and you know, from some of the stars that they have managed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think um, they've never forgotten the, the journeys they went on. Um, and yeah, it's funny with, with Guardiola. You know, you'd imagine a midfield of Gary Speed, Rob Lee, and Pep Guardiola. It's in black and white. Would be quite interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those you. Mourinho, when he comes to St James's Park, you know, he's he's obviously never won a league game here. Um, but he's never that's never kind of put him off coming here he, he he loves the journey he loves getting booed up the steps of Barrack Road these are the stadiums he really thrives on that kind of energy and um, it is a, a spiritual thing for him you know you walk in the players entrance and obviously the corner of your eye there's a bus to Sir Bobby and that's part of the, the journey for Mourinho on that match day and um, it's not a coincidence you know an hour and a half before kickoff he will do a walk around the perimeter of the the pitch um you know it's more than just a game for him I know he obviously wants to win he's he's completely professional but there is a a moment or two uh in the run-up to to when he plays at St James's where you know he can feel that presence and um it's it's something he, he always looks forward to 
So what is, uh, why can't Mourinho win? That's <laughs> James's Park. For a man who has won all over the world, you know, arguably one of the greatest managers of, of our generation. Yeah. He doesn't half struggle at Newcastle. And it, it's even more bizarre when you consider the players he's had, had at his disposal oh, yeah. compared to what Newcastle have had. And yet, Newcastle just seemed to be that kind of, at least James's Park, that hoodoo team for him. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 one of the quirks. It's he's never had this many games against a team without winning in a league before, and I think um, you know you, you look at the record: ten games in all competitions, two wins, both of them in cups. So you look at the managers who've been more than a match for him: Glenn Roder, uh, Graham Souness, Steve McLaren, Alan Pardew, of course. So managers who've, who've really stepped up, and their teams have stepped up publicly. Mourinho. Um, that's annoyed him you know I think there's a quote one of the he said one of the reasons Newcastle will never win anything was because of this mentality that they raise their game when the champions or a big team comes to St. James but privately um, nothing impresses them more than a team playing with blood tears sweat all the the associated cliches and I think that's something he's he's always warned his teams about He, he he certainly doesn't go into those games complacent but one of the problems he had Manchester United was his golden rule was um, he would always tell the players was you have to match whoever you play the same determination the same effort same commitment because they're going to up their game so he was constantly telling the players that um, in those final final kind of six seven months in charge but time and time again Manchester United were coming undone against teams they're expected to beat particularly away from home so it's quite a roll call if you look at the teams who took points off Man United um, in Mourinho's final 18 months in charge you know it's Newcastle obviously being one of them and speaking to to staff over the years about why it's St James's why and uh, one of them Jose Moraes who was assistant at Chelsea and Real Madrid he said I think it was the crowd and we sometimes overplay that at St James's you know it's a bit of a cliche uh, the fans etc etc but it's proof that even with some of the best players in the country um, the St James's roar does does have an effect because you look at those uh, times where he's brought teams often he's brought teams on the back of you know 8 game winning streaks 23 game unbeaten runs and still Newcastle who could be in the second bottom half of the table prove more than a match and Murray said that it's the fact that um, the players just get kind of superhuman qualities from the crowd so it could be something as trivial as Newcastle winning a throw-in and that can spark the crowd off and he said that there's never there are not many you know stadiums in the country let alone Europe where that happens and that the players just take on this superhuman quality and while obviously raising their game under the lights on television against one of the best teams in the country so it goes hand in hand I don't think it's uh, Mourinho ever underestimating or necessarily the players underestimating it's just such a tough game and you're seeing that time and time again and that's why he struggled even when he was at Manchester United Um, his one and only game at St James's they played well at times but they lost and it's going to go on isn't it this hoodoo most certainly I mean you dealt with Mourinho in your previous role at MEN obviously 
it, it, what happens at press conferences you get the on the record stuff then the manager tends to switch off switch off a little microphone and you get a little bit of insight into me what they, they don't want to sell in the open when he spoke about Newcastle um, on and off could you sense that it was more than just a game or was it or was it Tim or is it Tim just is it just a game I think he he treats every game whether it's Scunthorpe in the cup or um a Champions League second round game against Sevilla the same but Newcastle's always been a special one for him it's interesting you mentioned off the record Mourinho never spoke off the record so what we saw from the cameras was Mourinho and that was frustrating at times um, because he knew there, were, there was something else but I think I was there at the pre-match press conference for the Newcastle game where it was a very innocent one of the opening questions that the kind of neutral broadcasters ask and basically just, you know, what you make of Newcastle this season. And kind of unprompted, he went on a pretty long answer for him these days. And he spoke about, you know, the Geordies, how he's sure they would stay up, his respect for Benitez, um, and why he likes going to Sir Bobby's home, as, as you, you mentioned earlier. And it was it was kind of the, the mask kind of dropped ever so slightly and you kind of, oh, that's unusual and why hasn't he ever said this before but it's kind of a I suppose a reminder that he's he's never forgotten those links and that romantic element of Newcastle and St. James's even though he's such a terrible record there and that that was quite quite nice and probably um, we didn't get to see enough of that in Manchester to be honest because he he was very guarded and um, he didn't see the press as allies uh, far, far from it, and as a result, the coverage generally wasn't always in his favour um, because there was a lot of stuff going on in the dressing room that was leaking out, and um, their players openly undermining him in the mix zone, and um, it, it, it was tough to watch at times because you knew this guy was someone who a previous generation of players completely adored, would run through walls for. But at times, particularly towards the end, um, it just seemed like the, the players and him were on a separate page. And at an institution like Manchester United, that should never be the case. Um, but as I was saying, it just kind of went the way it's often gone with Mourinho, um, where the players tired of him, his message wasn't getting through, and it just unravelled. Well, that leads us on to my penultimate question but just before I do just a reminder to please like and subscribe uh, to the podcast through whichever platform you listen to and if it is on iTunes please leave a little review and a little rating as well and any feedback is appreciated good or bad but I trust it will be absolutely positive especially given it's Kieran's debut so don't be too harsh my penultimate question is the fact that it ended so badly Mm. they weren't playing attractive football well, they were barely even playing football by the time you left. Um, I mean, it kind of can coincide with your exit as well, so maybe <laughs> I had something to do with it. But we, because he, whichever club he goes to next, he's going to have to, in a, in a way, is he going to have to reinvent himself? Is he going to have to kind of show what he can do again? Or do you think people will just look upon it and say, right, that was a bad six months, bad year, whatever. The real Mourinho we've seen at Chelsea we've seen at Madrid we've seen in, in glimpses at Manchester United because a lot of fans when you look at the 
the reaction on Twitter and we know it's not a fair <laughs> representation of, of a fan base but what Newcastle fans are saying you know he had a terrible time I know it wasn't attractive football mm. you know we wouldn't want him here yeah I think his first season I would consider a success in that he got them back into the Champions League he won the Europa League won the League Cup Community Shield if you want to count that it's up to you second season they finished second but it was a distant second and for me the turning point of his reign was the defeat to Sevilla at home uh, I think that's when it really started to you started to worry a bit um, and following on from that that was so that was March and obviously he stayed till uh, December wasn't it and just the idea of a Mourinho team being ob- unable to win three or four games in a row, uh, being unable to beat someone tipped for relegation comfortably. Um, it, it it was just odd, yeah. And I think uh, the, the thing for him now is to prove he's not yesterday's man. I think one of the things he that used to really annoy him was the coverage Pochettino and Klopp got positive coverage but they never won a trophy in England and you're seeing now how Klopp he's he's won a Champions League finally and he's his way of playing same Pochettino is the way football is going and Mourinho I think is coming around to that finally and being a bit more conscious about that and he's he's talking about kind of a new technical team you know looking to evolve a bit more he's obviously watched a lot of football as a pundit in the, since his exit I think he he knows he has to evolve but my my argument would be he's he's known that when he went to Manchester United he knew Manchester United teams play a certain way and you didn't really see them play that way um, when he was there he didn't have the results ultimately to back up his approach and it just became a bit of a mess um, at Chelsea obviously he he won the, the title when he came back and that kind of restored his reputation after that black market Real Madrid which depending on who you talk to is a bit unfair some would say he laid the, the groundwork for what Ancelotti inherited and win the Champions League etc others have pointed to the fact he came up against a, an amazing Barcelona team um, and then others would say you know look at the way it ended how again he fell out with so many star players so I think he's very conscious of picking the right project and he's been a bit burnt by super clubs I think that there's a bit of parallel with Rafa Benitez after Rafa left Real Madrid um, I think he kind of took a step back and thought I want a club that's like Liverpool you know a very city club as Napoli were as Newcastle are who really buy into it and I think Mourinho is thinking along those lines going forward now and he knows he's he can't afford another another um, poor spell or a spell that doesn't end well but I suppose you look at the reality is he's still won all those trophies and he's still going to be in demand um, but you know the, the, the onus is on him to prove that he can continue to evolve because at the moment you're looking at the way football's going it's quicker tall players aren't really in vogue anymore it's all about the Guardiola the Pochettino the Klopp way and, and any up and coming managers are looking at them more so than Mourinho at the moment that's that's the truth of it so on to the final question then first off would Jose Mourinho be interested in the castle 
job and, and secondly um which hotel do you think you would stay in <laughs> yeah that, that's that was the kind of um the partridge obsession that everyone had in manchester was why didn't he buy a house when uh, you know there have been managers in the past who've bought apartments and obviously been gone six months later but it was a bit odd what, uh, watching the pennies nothing wrong with just you know trying to <laughs> it, save it was a very, very plush hotel I could tell you that was that his bill was eye water and I can only imagine but um, yeah in, in terms of Newcastle I mean I think it's he sees the potential of the club and he can see what the club can be just like Benitez can but as I said earlier if he has a lot of newfound respect for Benitez. Um, obviously, the time at Chelsea and Liverpool, they they clashed a lot. But as they've gotten older and mellowed a bit, there there is a real bond between them. And it's interesting with Mourinho. He's always followed kind of very good managers, but managers are maybe not so revered. So Ranieri, Mancini, Pellegrini, Benitez at Chelsea, um, and then Van Hal. Good good managers, popular managers, but Mourinho kind of inspires that devotion. Whereas I'd look at he'd look at Newcastle, and I think he would think, blimey, you know, following Rafa that and not having the right conditions in place. I'm not so sure. I think it'd be a real red flag for him the way it's playing out at the moment. As I said earlier, he's his big thing going forward is having support, having a sophisticated structure in place. Newcastle, um, you know. You look at the hierarchy, I'm not so sure it fits the model he's looking for. Um, but I think, you know, he will manage in England again. And who knows, one day he's got at least, I'd say, another 10 years before he'd like to go into international management. And one day he will come back. And if, if Newcastle, that position came available, it'd be very interesting. But I'd be very surprised if Newcastle is his next job. Well, there we have it. Thank you very much, Kieran. I hope you've enjoyed your your debut. You look like you've just about survived. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to re-emphasize the point that um, you know we don't believe there's anything in these Jose Mourinho links. Just before we do get a, a ton of abuse, uh, so we had this podcast planned a few weeks back, just simply because of Sir Boy Robertson's relationship with him, and it is such a special one, and his affection for the Northeast and, and the Jory public. But nonetheless, it's fitted in quite nicely. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with um, quite a few specials to the rest of the, uh, the pre-season thank you very much <laughs>